That's a kingdom way too. And, and what is justice anyway? I mean, I've hit you with all this bad news. You didn't come to church for this, did you? Church is supposed to be good news. Well, in one sense, justness is, just means fairness and equity. But it's more than that. It's actually setting things right. That's what justice is, biblically speaking. It's setting things right. Now, of course, this implies that there's something wrong, something that needs to be corrected, right? And, but who decides what's just? And more than that, how is justice accomplished and by whom? These are all good questions. Well, the Bible offers quite a bit of understanding about justice, and it shows that it's embodied, that is, justice is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. We won't be able to tackle all that justice means, but today as we consider the way of justice as the way of the kingdom, let's take a look at what Jesus says about his own ministry and his own life. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. And it says this, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Now, Jesus is hanging out in his hometown and everybody knows this guy. I mean, he's Joseph's son from down the street. We know the guy. And apparently, I'm crackling. Let me see if I can fix this. I don't know if I can fix this. This Could this be... So, but apparently, this is a common practice for Jesus, going to the synagogue and and teaching. I mean, uh, he's regularly in there. By the way, if Jesus shows up for church regularly, wouldn't be a bad idea if you showed up for church regularly, or I did it. Amen? All right. Jesus didn't have to deal with technology either, but they, it's okay. You know what? It's okay. We're a family. You're going to give me grace. And so he's there, and, you know, this was a practice of his. Being a disciple is about discipline. And one of his disciplines was, um, I'll try it. I'm terrible with handheld mics when I preach because I'm so demonstrative. Okay. This is what we have. This is what the, we, the body of Christ is about. We have... Uh, uh, Lots of, I'm not sure it's, it could be this. Could be I'm very statically charged. I'm that kind of guy. I think we're okay now, believe me. All right. All right. So sorry for the intermission. Sorry about that. Okay. So Ah, encouragement. So Jesus is hanging out in his hometown, and he is in the synagogue. He hangs out there, and he's there to uh, do a few things. Well, the text continues, and it says this. Not only is he there regularly, it says then, verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And by the way, we'll just stop there. Now, usually when you were in a synagogue meeting, there was a recitation of what we call the Shema. Anybody know what the Shema is? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he alone is God, or the Lord is one. They would also 
they would recite the Ten Commandments, something called the 18 Benedictions. They would read the Scripture. There would be uh, the Psalms. There would be an exposition of that. How many like expository preaching? Jesus did expository preaching. Amen. I know, John, that was for you. Uh, the, uh, and they would pronounce a blessing. See, and various people were often asked to read and pray. And it's not clear why the assistant handed Jesus the, the scroll of Isaiah. But maybe Jesus asked for it. We don't know. But we do know what he read. And what he did was he quoted Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2, and actually chapter 58, verse 6. And notice what Jesus says. He says something really profound in verse 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, like mic drop, I guess, I don't know. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. I mean, they were like right on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. What a weird thing to kind of add on. That's how he began this whole thing. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I need your help. We are a people that um, not only face technological challenges, but spiritual challenges, emotional challenges. And there's so much bad news in the world. Things are so unjust. We need good news. So help us today to see your good news, hear your good news, and live your good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at today's passage and and its relationship to our topic, the way of justice, I want you to just remember one thing. I'm not going to give you a three-point sermon. Not at all. I'm going to give you a three-word, three-syllable message. It's only one thing I want you to remember, and it's a call to action. It's this. Set things right. Let me say it again with all the, the, the static I'm enduring. Set things right. Right? We, that's what justice is. It's setting things right. Now, I have to admit that there's something strange about this text. First of all, Jesus makes a really strange claim. And the Bible says that, verse 21, he began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. I mean, Jesus is about to do his exposition of the passage. He quoted from Isaiah, but he prefaces it with this. This scripture has been fulfilled. Huh? I mean, this is a bold claim. I mean, I love you, Jesus, but are we talking about the same Isaiah quote and the same reality? It doesn't seem to be jibing that, I mean, what you just said was this is fulfilled. Whatever Jesus explained about this passage, he claimed that the passage has been fulfilled on the very day he was teaching it. What a crazy claim. And and this might have been a bit confusing then, but it seems even more confusing today. I mean, just look around. The world is not right. Things are unjust, and Jesus has the nerve to proclaim that this passage has been fulfilled. What? I mean, it takes a lot of nerve to say something like that. 
And remember what uh, it was that he said in Isaiah. Let's look at it again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, huh? So let me get this straight. Jesus is claiming that the poor have good news. And sick sick people are healed. And people are free from sin slavery, maybe literally literal slavery, and God's favor is here. I mean, that's quite a claim. I mean, of the 8 billion people, we crossed 8 billion, by the way, recently, 8 billion people on the planet, I suspect one or two may beg to differ with Jesus. Right? I mean, the poor have good news. I think there's a lot of bad news that the poor are getting. Sick people are healed. People are free from sin slavery. God's favor is here like the year of Jubilee. Is that really what we're experiencing in the world? I mean, is Jesus is saying that all these wrongs have been righted, all this injustice corrected. Then why does the entire cosmos seem to be screaming otherwise? Hmm? I mean, who even gets to determine what is just? Let alone what justice is. <laughs> anyway, some people believe that there's no problem here. Naturalists, they don't believe in God or anything like God. They just say that there is no good or evil. So there's no right or wrong, so there's no real problem here. I mean, justice is just a man-made, subjective kind of thing. You know, I mean, if you look around, black widows, they mate. They eat their mates after mating. I mean, that, that, that happens. Uh, pandas, if they have twins, they'll abandon one of the twins and just raise one. One, one will die. And there's a hornet that loves to uh, sting uh, other insects, lay eggs in it, and its offspring hatch and eat that insect from the inside out that's paralyzed. I mean, crazy things go on in this messed up world. But now if humans were to do something like that, people would say that's wrong. That's not right. I mean, most people would say that. Naturalists will say, well, we just say that, but that's not true. But don't you feel like if something humans did something bad like that, that would be wrong? Not right? I have a friend, uh, one of my oldest friends. He gave me a call the other day, speaking of more news, and has been a Christian since he was 12 years old. I was there when he gave his life to Jesus, 13 and he, he's been kind of getting into some weird stuff on the internet, like YouTube, certain meditations. And he started talking a lot like a Buddhist. And we've known each other for a long time. And I, had, I was actually in the church one evening, kind of pacing back and forth back there uh, in the cafe area, talking to him. And he was telling me why he believes what he believes now. Like, he's changed, you know, a lot. And he's got this idea that really good and evil are just concepts. Buddhism would say illusions. Right and wrong, good and bad are kind of like illusions. They, we only think that because we only think there's good or bad or these kinds of things because we want something. If we just desiring, stop desiring things, really reality is there is no right or wrong, good or evil. 
And now I know why this guy wants to believe that. He's a very loving guy. He just wants to say that God is love and God is love. And there really is no right or wrong. It's just all our perception of things. But I talked to him for a couple hours and and I just said, you know, you're mistaken. You know I love you, but you're mistaken here. I said, I've never met a Buddhist that doesn't look both ways before they cross the street. Reality is not an illusion. Right and wrong are not illusions. And we know that deep down. Reality and personal experience both seem to say that there is good and there is bad. There is right and there is wrong. And here's the thing. You know how you can tell it? Let somebody rob you. You're going to say, that's not fair. That's wrong, right? Don't you have a sense of right and wrong? And while God is loving, God is also just. God doesn't want to just sweep under the rug good and bad, right and wrong. He wants to address wrong. He wants to deal with wrong. And I think most humans feel and think that there is right and wrong. And do you know why? Because we bear God's image. We think like God. This is the Imago Dei. And most humans um, believe in justice precisely because they were created God in God's image and likeness. So what is justice again? It's setting things right. And who gets to decide it? It's God. God is the locus. He's the paradigm of what is good. He's the standard. And it's a good thing because he's perfect and unchanging. So he gets to decide what's right and wrong. I mean, justice in one way is God's definition of good and evil. It shows the difference between the two. And human image bearers believe uh, uh, that this image um, confers dignity, equality, and fairness no matter who you are. Do you know that? If you bear God's image, and we're talking about justice here, how can we be just with one another? The first thing you have to believe is the person sitting next to you is carrying God's image. Do you believe that? I mean, you have value, you have virtue, you have dignity, you have equality in some sense because you carry God's image. And because of that, we want to respect others and show fairness. But we often experience just the opposite. I mean, truth be told, humans are very often, well, they take advantage of other people. Selfishly, you ever met anybody to try, try to take advantage of you? Where, where uh, they people hoard, we cheat, we deceive, we lie, we hurt, we even murder. So much for the image of God in people. I mean, injustice permeates individuals, families, communities, countries, and even the whole cosmos. Life's not fair. The world's not fair. And I think this is the problem that we instinctively know it. But we don't do much about it sometimes. And God wants us to live out justice. And what it does show is the power of sin. I mean, sin spoils everything. It affects everything. And it's been around since Adam and Eve. But God wants to make things right. When I talk about justice, what I'm saying is setting things right. God wants to set things right. And he actually began the process in Abraham. Everybody remember the story? He called Abraham to live righteously and justly. And you see this, the words justice and righteous, they kind of go hand in hand in the Bible. I mean, the word righteousness or sedekah refers to how we relate to others. 
How are we rightly relating to others? And it obliges us to treat other people as God's image bearers. If you want to be righteous, and the Bible says you should be righteous, then you need to treat other people like they bear the image of God. If you don't do that, you're not behaving righteously. Injustice or mishpat, the Hebrew word, it it has this idea of it means justice and sometimes retributive justice. If you steal, you'll pay a price for stealing. But more than that, and more often than that, it's used of restorative justice. It's when we seek out people that have been disfigured. The image has been, of God has been disfigured in some way. They're poor, downtrodden, hurt, maybe caught up in sin, and we seek them out. And we try to restore the image of God in them. It's restorative justice. And these are some of the things that God is calling us to do. It means to help the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the orphans and the widows, the strangers in our land, by the way, and prisoners in our jails, and the enslaved, the people both physically and spiritually enslaved. And God describes the practical part of righteousness and justice like this. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3, this is what he says. He says, this is what the Lord says. Administer justice and righteousness. Rescue. Notice that word. Rescue the victim of robbery from the hand of his oppressor. Don't exploit or brutalize the foreigner. Don't be taking advantage of people because they're in a weaker position. The fatherless or the widow. I mean... Don't shed innocent blood in this place. We, we instinctively think murder is wrong, most of us. But what about exploitation? What about taking advantage of someone who's in a weaker position? I mean, Jesus shows up. He quotes Isaiah. That spirit is on him to do these things. And he says it's being fulfilled at that moment. But he's hinting at Jeremiah too. I mean, as well, I should say. Chapter 22, verse 3. That this is the way we administer justice and righteousness. We rescue the victim of robbery from the hand of his oppressor. And we don't exploit or brutalize people. And how you treat the widow and the orphan, God's watching us. See, I tried to point the finger out at you, but God's watching me. And we don't want to take advantage of people who are foreigners in our land. So, how could Jesus say that this whole thing was fulfilled? Do you remember a long time ago when we were talking about the kingdom of God, how I said it was already but not yet? Anybody remember that? I kind of weave that into a lot of things. On the one hand, Jesus showing up into the world began the kingdom of God. The spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon him. To proclaim good news. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead live again, the poor hear the good news. People who are in bondage are set free. Jesus does that in word and in deed. He takes up the cause. He speaks up for the poor. But he also releases people from the bondage of sin and sickness. People who are bowed over. People who are bleeding. People who can't walk. People who are blind. Jesus deals with people who are demonized. He casts out demons. Jesus shows up. And he does those works. So when he says that this has been fulfilled, what he's saying is, I'm inaugurating at this moment. You see me standing in the temple. It's begun. But is it complete? 
I mean, <laughs> Jesus started the work. He began a work of radical, selfless living, of self-giving love. But he says, he doesn't stop there. Jesus started the process, but he deputizes some disciples. Do you know Jesus has deputized you? Yeah? He picked 12, one of them ended up being the devil. You know, none of us. But they were to go and deputize more people who were to deputize more people. Last week, I had the privilege of baptizing someone in this tank. And what a privilege. But when you baptize someone, you don't just try to get them wet. And I, <laughs> you try to say, as they publicly identify with Jesus, this is starting something. You will start living a life to bring about God's righteousness in the world, his justice in the world. Uh, It's not just not doing those bad things we read about in Jeremiah. It's doing good things. If you think, sitting in the pew, you're like, you know, I don't do bad things. Okay, maybe you don't. But are you doing good things? It's not enough just to not do bad things. That's important. Don't do bad things. But we are called to do good things. That is to speak up for the voiceless. When was the last time you spoke up for someone who had very little voice? I say you. When was the last time I did it? When was the last time we set the captives free and provided resources for people who don't have them? Do you know right now in this world there are 40 million slaves in the world? 40 million. The population of the state of California, if you emptied out California, a lot of people would like to, that number of people, that's the number of slaves there are in the world today. Right now, as you're sitting in the pew, 40 million people are being held against their will, either in sex trafficking, being forced to do work that they don't want to do. They can't get free from children to the old. Right now. And we're called to address it. I mean, one of the things we, I partner with, I know others do, is a thing called International Justice Mission. Their job is to get people out of bondage. And they work to change not just the situations of those individuals, but the entire structure of the government. They, they're, partnering, they're partnering with governments, putting pressure on them to get people out of slavery. And I've watched some of these videos, and it's heart-wrenching the things that go on. But we have an opportunity by supporting missionaries, by supporting organizations like International Justice Mission, any number of organizations, to alleviate the suffering. And here's the thing. God calls us to do it. I love it that you're coming to church and learning the Bible. I love teaching Sunday school in there. And I love preaching out here. But if we just sit in the pew and do nothing more than receive, something's not right. Justice is a call to action. Jesus deals with injustice and unrighteousness through his life, death, and resurrection. We're called to set things right. Jesus started it, but we're called to live it out. He did. And here's the way he expressed it most. A righteous man gave his life... He disadvantaged himself for unrighteous people. That's you and me. He went to a cross, 
died on the cross, and he did this to give you his righteousness and actually take the just deserts, meaning because we were sinners, we were worthy of death. God didn't just skip over that part, by the way. Justice for sin. God himself bore it on himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, the righteous one, to die for the unrighteous, to give us his righteousness, and to bring about justice. He paid the penalty for us. And here's the thing. If Jesus does that for us, to give us his righteousness, it isn't for us to sit in a pew. We, like Jesus, need to be able to go to the cross for others. And what that means is that we disadvantage ourselves for the benefit of others. That's part of what justice is. I mean, it's setting things right. So I want to challenge you today that as we think about being kingdom people, what are some ways that you can set things right? I'm not even just talking about in your family. You need to do that too. We've got Thanksgiving. You're going to be sitting across the table from these people, right? But what is it that we can do today? Maybe you're supporting a mission like International Justice Mission. Maybe you're supporting, we're going to have some things in the announcements, things that you can support. Maybe you're going to show up for this Christmas thing to raise money for all these ministries. We need to be taking action to bring about justice in the world. Because we're the beneficiaries of the goodness of God. And we didn't get what we deserved. That's called mercy. And we got a lot of things we didn't deserve. That's called grace. So the worship team, as you come up. I received so much. If I could tell you the calls I received in the last week with bad news. Uh, uh, you would probably leave here deflated. But I did receive a call Friday night that um, a person I love very much, Connie Page, um, she passed away Friday night. And um, there's going to be a private uh, ceremony. It's a military ceremony, so there are only a few people can show up for it on Wednesday. It will be at that but what she wanted and what her son wants is for us to have a memorial service. And we're, it won't be until like the beginning of next year just because the holidays are here. We're going to honor the family's request here. But I want to tell you something about Connie. 96 years old. I, rem- I, I celebrated her birthday with her. Uh, what, what a privilege. On Easter of this year, I got to bring her into membership here at the church. What a life well lived. I'm not going to eulogize her here, but I want to say something. When we look around the world, we see death and decay. And things aren't the way God intended, ultimately. God wants to set things right. And it could be very depressing if we thought all of this is the end of the story. But if anybody I've ever met is dancing with Jesus in heaven right now, It's Connie Page. There are people in this church who came to faith because of this woman. God used this woman. 
And I can get teary-eyed if I think too much about these things, but there's some good news. God sent Jesus in the world to set everything right. We screwed it up as people. Adam and Eve did it, and we can point fingers at them, but you did it too, and I did it through choices that we've made. We need to be able to turn to God with, with everything and receive what he's done for us, but not just be recipients. Give back what God has given to us. Amen? And I learned some things from Connie. I love having people in my life that are a little older than me, or a lot older than me. There's coming a day when every tear will be wiped and everything will be set right. That's the yet to come. But there is an already not yet thing going on here. You and I have been called by God in the interim to actively set things right. Don't check out. Oh, I'm saved. I don't care what happens in the world. Don't check out. Go out. Make disciples. Heal the sick. Set the captives free. Share the good news of Jesus. Jesus has come into the world and changed everything. We need to be saying it and living it out. Amen? Amen. Father, I, I don't even know where to stop or begin. I pray that you take the words of Jesus and impart them to our heart afresh, God. I pray that you open our eyes to see. Uh, See the way Connie saw and so many others that the world isn't the way it should be. Things are not right. Things are unjust. And God, remind us that you didn't call us to be complacent, but to go into the world and to change things, to set things right. What you began in Jesus Christ, work through us until he returns again and completes it, God. I ask that all the people here today, God, that have felt discouraged, disillusioned, indifferent, apathetic, God, that you would inspire fire into their lives, God. That we would be a people that live out the Great Commission, that we would be a people that tell others, but live in service to others, that through self-sacrificial love, just as Jesus did, who died for us while we were unrighteous, God, that we would go out and proclaim the good news that Jesus has come to fulfill what God had promised so long ago. Use us as your people, we pray. God, use this people to set things right in this world until your son comes. In his name we pray, amen.